Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 63 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and I am recording this on Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. And if you are like most people I know, your world has been changed by the COVID-19 or coronavirus pandemic. And I thought about actually shifting gears and not continuing with uh, reading of the chapters of my upcoming book, if you met my family, you'd understand. But then I thought, well, we should keep going. Uh, this particular chapter is on self-regulation and how reactivity makes anxiety worse in a system and how we can actually regulate our own anxiety in a way that makes us less reactive and helps the system remain calm. And so I think this actually is appropriate for what we are trying to do in a situation that none of us have really experienced before. Maybe if you were alive in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, yeah, you might have some idea, but for most of us, this is entirely new territory. And I am hoping that this material will help you to be a non-anxious leader. Also this Wednesday, March 25th, I am doing a community conversation at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the Non-Anxious Leader Network. It's just a way for us to connect and share what is going on as we try to be a focused and calm leader in the midst of fear and chaos in the world. So if you're listening to this in time, you can go to the Non-Anxious Leader Network, that is network dot the non-anxious leader dot com and you can find out about how to join this live online event Wednesday March 25th at 1 p.m. So without further ado here is chapter 8 of if you met my family you'd understand this chapter is self-regulation. Chapter 8 self-regulation. Reactive people are often affected by their physical environment. They find external sources to blame for their behavior. Stephen Covey Self-regulation is keeping your anxiety in check so it doesn't make a bad situation worse. That's easier said than done. It takes intentionality and self-awareness. It's important to remember that being self-differentiated doesn't mean you won't feel anxious inside. You will. But you can still be a non-anxious presence if you can self-regulate. To better understand how to do this, it's helpful to understand the family system's concept of reactivity. Reactivity. By now you realize that much of your behavior has been inherited from your family of origin. As W. Thomas Soldner writes, quote, Where did this automatic emotional reactiveness come from? We learn it in our earliest years in our family of origin and or with primary caregivers. We are the product of generations of such automatic responses. We receive the family emotionality, i.e., quote-unquote, instincts from our parents, 
who received them from theirs, and so on through generations. We learn how to relate to others in interaction with our siblings. It all comes to us without our knowledge or choice. Without, that is, until we reach a time of recognition and discernment and ask ourselves, who am I? End quote. Reactivity is defined as, quote, the tendency of the organism to respond to perceived threat or the anxiety of others. It is more pronounced at lower levels of self-differentiation, end quote. There are several components here. Let's work backwards. First is the anxiety of others. This is the easiest to understand, especially when the anxiety is directed toward us as anger or blaming. It's hard to regulate our own anxiety in these situations. Second is a perceived threat. While the anxiety of others is external, perceived threats are entirely internal. The perceived threat may or may not be real. If what we perceive raises anxiety in us, it is possibly connecting to an unresolved issue in our own family of origin. Why? Because not all threats raise our anxiety. The level to which this will occur is entirely in us. Nobody gets the problem they can handle. For example, let's say your boss comes to you and says, you need to get this project finished on time or there's going to be big trouble. An objective observer might ask, what kind of trouble? If you are self-differentiated, you might ask the same question. But let's say your boss's tone of voice reminds you of your mother, with whom you have been in constant conflict. You feel the anxiety rising in you because you are feeling threatened. Your boss didn't actually threaten you. Perhaps she is worried about her own job and is commiserating with you. The point is, Perceived threat is in the eye of the beholder. The third part of this definition is the response. One response is to unleash our anxiety. This is what most people imagine when they think of reactivity. It's the fight part of the fight or flight mechanism. Sometimes this is literally fighting back. Other times it's getting defensive. In either case, if this is your response, you are not self-regulating you are allowing your own anxiety to make a difficult situation worse. Another form of reactivity is giving in. The family systems term is adaptivity, but is considered a form of reactivity. That's confusing because it looks like the opposite of reactivity. The thing to remember is that giving in is still a response. When you give in, you are adapting to the anxiety or perceived threat of the other by stuffing your own feelings and not taking a non-anxious emotional stand. Bill Selby, founder of the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness in the Rockies, has coined the term, quote-unquote, adaptive reactivity to describe this form of response or lack thereof. This highlights the giving-in nature while noting that in family systems theory, this is still considered a reactive response. Whether a response is adaptive or reactive, it's still not a healthy way to function. Being adaptive does not allow your feelings to be expressed in a healthy way. Being reactive allows your own anxiety to come out in unhealthy ways. Let's recap. Reactivity is defined as, quote, the tendency of the organism to respond to perceived threat or the anxiety of others. It is more pronounced at lower levels of self-differentiation, end quote. 
there is either anxiety or a perceived threat from the other. We either adapt or react instead of taking a non-anxious emotional stand. The kicker is that reactivity will increase at lower levels of self-differentiation. Remember that self-differentiation isn't static. Rather than saying you are self-differentiated, it's more accurate to say you are functioning in self-differentiated ways. When you are functioning at lower levels of self-differentiation, you are more likely to react or adapt to the anxiety or perceived threats from others. I recently got into a fight with my wife. It doesn't happen very often, but the pattern is familiar. She'll make a remark that strikes me the wrong way. Instead of being intentional and thinking about my response, I'll just react. In this case, I got defensive. This starts a pattern of her saying something to which I respond with greater anger. This can go on for several hours until one of us erupts, we have it out, and then we eventually come to our senses. The interesting thing about the recent fight was how we unpacked it that evening. She admitted that she had been in a bad mood, but then she said, you're the self-differentiation guy. You're supposed to recognize that and not react. The truth hurts. The point about reactivity is that sometimes we are better able to self-regulate than others. Self-differentiation is fluid and can be influenced by the amount of stress you are facing, as well as whether you are sleep-deprived or hungry. So, by definition, self-regulation is keeping your reactivity in check. Before we get to how to do this, I want to unpack the nature of chronic conditions. Chronic conditions. In family systems theory, a chronic condition is a pattern of reactivity that occurs repeatedly. It can be either ongoing or recurring, but like my fight with my wife, there is a pattern to it. If you have an ongoing interaction with a family member that is filled with anxiety, then it is likely a chronic condition. The key point to understand is that a chronic condition is sustained by feedback, and that feedback is reactivity. Without a reactive or adaptive response, a chronic condition will disappear. An illustration will help. Marshall Goldsmith is a world-renowned business educator and coach. In his book, Triggers, Goldsmith shares a story about Amy, a 51-year-old senior executive at a media company. Quote, Amy described a close mother-daughter relationship, perhaps too close. Her mother was in her late 70s and they spoke daily, but the conversation was governed by sniping and petty arguments. Parent and child were engaged in a zero-sum game of proving herself right and the other wrong. Quote-unquote, love by a thousand cuts, Amy called it. One day, triggered by her mother's mortality and the realization that neither of them was getting younger, Amy decided on a truce. She didn't tell her mother about it. She simply refused to engage in the verbal skirmishing. When her mother made a judgmental remark, Amy let it hang in the air like a noxious cloud, waiting for it to vaporize from neglect. With her daughter unwilling to counterpunch, mom soon stopped punching, and vice versa. End quote. This was a chronic condition. The pattern of interaction was the mother making a comment and the daughter reacting. It was only when the daughter decided to regulate her reactivity that the pattern changed. I love Goldsmith's metaphor of the quote-unquote noxious cloud. Anxiety is like that. 
but without reactivity, it will dissipate. It's important to note that a chronic condition can also be sustained by an adaptive response. Using Amy as an example, let's say she never argued with her mother but just took it. If she never reacted anxiously, let alone never took a non-anxious emotional stand, then she was responding adaptively. It's likely that Amy would then triangle someone else, taking out her frustration and pain elsewhere because she's unable to stand up to her mother in a healthy way. Either way, it is the reactive or adaptive response that sustains the chronic pattern of anxious interaction. So now that you understand reactivity and the nature of chronic conditions, it's time to look at how to self-regulate. The best way to do this is to listen. Listening is your best response. Responding to the anxiety or perceived threat of others without reactivity is a challenge. The very nature of the interaction increases your own anxiety. But there is a simple way to self-regulate, and that is by listening. By definition, listening is maintaining a non-anxious presence. One, you are remaining non-anxious because instead of fighting, getting defensive, or caving in, you are asking questions. Two, because you are exploring the other's feelings, you are emotionally present. The best way to handle an anxious attack by another is to not argue and to not agree. Listening accomplishes this. You can follow three steps to self-regulate. First, take a deep breath. Deep breathing is a proven way to physically reduce your anxiety. It also allows you to take your time. When things get anxious, the anxiety of the situation increases our need to respond immediately, so we either blurt out our argument or we immediately agree. If you can convince yourself that it's okay to be thoughtful, then you can take your time to respond. You can even say something like, I need a minute to think about this. This also gives you time to increase your self-awareness and intentionality. This will improve your ability to self-regulate. Next, ask an open-ended question. These are questions that begin with who, what, where, when, and how. Avoid questions that begin with why. People don't always know why they feel the way they do, so this might increase their frustration. Here are some examples. What makes you feel that way? When does this happen? How does that make you feel? The list of questions you could ask is endless. Continue to ask open-ended questions. Over the course of the conversation, the anxiety will start to dissipate. I would suggest practicing asking open-ended questions in non-anxiety-producing situations. Do this during meetings at work or church. Do this in routine conversations with family members. The more you practice, the easier it will be to do this when you are feeling most anxious. Finally, at appropriate times, reflect back what you sense the other is feeling. You're feeling angry. I sense you are frustrated. You feel hurt. Even if you misjudge them, they will usually appreciate that you are trying to understand them. Regardless, Continue with open-ended questions and reflecting their feelings for as long as you can. I found that in most cases, the anxiety will dissipate pretty quickly. 
without reactivity, the noxious cloud dissipates. It's not uncommon for this to be the end of it. The other will say, I just needed to vent, will thank me, and will move on. In cases where the other is demanding a response, your best option is to buy some time. Say, I'd like to think and pray about this. Let me do that, and then I'll get back to you. You will have to get back to them, but this will give you more time to process the interaction as well as increase your self-awareness and intentionality. It will also give you time to practice taking a non-anxious emotional stand when you do respond. Even more helpful than self-regulating is the ability to use paradox and playfulness to avoid being triangled, to diffuse anxiety, and to give back responsibility for oneself. We'll cover that next. Questions for reflection. Are you more likely to respond to an anxious situation with reactivity or adaptivity? Where does that come from? What chronic conditions exist in your family of origin? How can you self-regulate to avoid providing the feedback that sustains these conditions? That's chapter eight of If You Met My Family, You'd Understand. And as I mentioned at the very end, the next chapter is on paradox and playfulness. And while listening is a great way to self-regulate, it is paradox and playfulness that really move the needle towards positive change. So that's next week. And of course, as I mentioned, this Wednesday, March 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, I will be doing a live event on the Non-Anxious Leader Network. It will be a community conversation where we can get together and discuss how we are working to be non-anxious leaders in a time of fear and chaos. And you can find out all about that at Network thenonanxiousleader.com. You can also go to the website thenonanxiousleader.com and subscribe to my blog and my Two for Tuesday email, which goes out every week and makes recommendations on what I have found helpful as a leader. And when you do that, you get my email, and I love to hear directly from people in terms of how they are trying to be a non-anxious presence, both in their personal life and their professional life. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.